You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to all those ancestral helping spirits, those people who lived well and died well, and bring to us this great and rich legacy of those who have gone before us. I call out to these ancestors who met the challenges of their own time to assist us in rising to the challenges of our time. We ask you to help us to understand those things that must remain true, that allow a human being on this planet to stay in integrity and impeccability within themselves. And I also allow you to ask you to help us to be able to be open and allow the energies to come through that will help us rise to the challenges of our own time and to innovate, to create, to hold space for some powerful transformations that are really needed at this time on this earth. We ask you, ancestors, to help us to become the people who can do what needs to be done in our own time and to do so now and not pass it off to the next generation. So as we call out to these human ancestors to gather around, let's reach out further beyond the humans to those ancestors that were here long before there was ever a human. And I call out to those non-human ancestors who are manifest here with us in form nonetheless. I call out to you to help us to understand our own true nature, to begin to better understand how to play our part in this great web of life in a way that is good for all living things. And I ask you, all of you non-human beings who are here, to help us to understand how to truly stand up in our humanity and bring the gifts that humanity has to offer to this world. And as all of these helping spirits gather around us, let us do our part to gather ourselves, drawing ourselves from wherever we might be, fully into our mind, from our mind into our heart, from our heart into our belly, and from our belly, let us take a moment and reach to the earth and to give thanks for this day, to give gratitude for the wonder and the blessing for all the mystery that your life holds, all those very, very hard things you have not yet figured out how to understand as the gift that they are meant to be. You have not yet found the teaching that resides in that pain. We give gratitude for it all, nonetheless. We give gratitude for the abundance and the blessings, the great diversity all around us and the beauty in so many, many ways. We call out to all of these energies to hear our gratitude, to hear our wonder for life itself. And we begin then to send our energies down, down into the earth, allowing this gratitude in our heart to pour out to all the layers of the earth as we send our energy down through all the layers of the earth to ground ourselves firmly here. Reaching our consciousness all the way down, sinking into the earth, surrendering our energy into those energies that gain their power through stillness, through darkness, through silence, through not yet being anything, and yet being at the root of all things. And let us reach deeply into that earth energy and draw this energy up, up into ourselves, drawing up refreshment and nourishment, replenishment, rejuvenation, drawing in nourishment and drawing up all the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. We call these energies up from the earth and we ask the energy of the earth to help each one of us to learn how to be grounded, to know where we stand, what we stand for, to take up space and to create a sense of home based on those things that have heart and meaning not just habit and tradition, but true heart and meaning in our time. 
And may we build a sense of home that opens its doors to the other, not just people that look like us and think like us and make us feel comfortable in the person we already are. But we call out to those that would challenge us and provoke us to becoming the men and women we were actually born to be. May we call these energies in as well as we learn to come into right relationship with all the many energies within ourself, right relationship with our environment, with others, with the invisible world. And in this, may we reach all the way into the great web of life and feel ourselves as part of that oneness to be blessed by this, even if just for a moment in this day and take our sense of right relationship from that oneness. And as the energies of the earth move within us, let us raise that energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and up and out and into the sky and whether it holds above you at this time and out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and let us rise up through all the heavenly bodies and connect with all the radiant energies above, reaching all the way to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know this energy and whatever way you conceive of it to connect with this energy and draw it down, drawing with intention, drawing down into your life, into yourself, into these proceedings, drawing in blessings drawing in protection and commitment and devotion and the great benevolence of our universe, calling it in into your physical body, into your energy body. We draw in inspiration, illumination, and the beneficence of this universe. We call these energies in that we might bring our own commitment and devotion to our soul's true purpose. So we call these energies in, sending the energies from above down to the center of the earth, And in this way, we not only illuminate our own center channel, but we become the place in which these two great legendary lovers, the earth and sky, come together in that big love. And may that big love awaken the energy of your heart, opening your heart to this day, opening your heart to the challenges that it has for us, bringing that crucible of transformation online that lives there in the heart, call up the fiery passions of the belly. And call down the crystal clarity of the mind and let these two energies so very different in their own nature dance together in the heart in a loving and passionate tango. And let this energy and this dynamic tension give birth to a third and most sacred thing which is your own sense or feeling or memory, some kind of understanding of why it is that you are here. And may you find the courage in that very same human heart to bring forward in some way, large or small, your gifts and make them manifest in the world. And for the countless, uh, immeasurable amount of spirit energy that we all have to help us in doing that, I give great thanks. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I want to thank Emily and Alexandra, Andy, Dale, Diane, Lucille, Julie, Du Yun Jen and all the listeners who have donated to the show. Um, it is because of listeners like you that the show remains live and on the air and that the archives remain available with over 350 hours of podcasts free for anyone who can get themselves on the internet. And I give gratitude to all of you for helping to make that happen. Why Shamanism Now just barely pays its own bills with your donations every year. And I give thanks for you for helping me to do that. Um, For those of you who are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. There are no ads. There's no one making money off Why Shamanism Now. But I do ask if you are moved by the show in any way, if you are moved in the heart, to then allow what moves your heart to move you into action. Because this is the most fundamental act of shamanism is to let that which moves your heart motivate your actions in the world. To do what has heart and meaning in your life. And to let all of your actions reinforce that. So please do something, large or small, to help the show to grow. Whatever that might be, there are many, many ways to support the show. Some people are transcribing their favorite shows and sending in the transcription. Some people are donating money. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Many of you don't know the show website exists because you download through um, Kodash Creator Network or through iTunes. But it exists. You can search the archives there. You can also donate to the show there any amount large or small any currency Um, we're happy for all of it and it is the many many small donations that come in that do keep the show going so don't be shy Um, so with that said 
I want to truly give thanks for the now eighth, you know, eighth year that the show has been live and it wouldn't be happening without you. So we are live today. If you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. You're obviously welcome to email me about any show whenever you listen to it. Um, I'll either answer or maybe turn an answer into a show. That happens a lot. You're also welcome to post your comments about shows on the Facebook page, Um, but just post it on the show. Um, or at least tell us what show you're posting about (laughs) so we understand what your point is. Um, Okay, so years ago, when I was researching the encyclopedia, I read an article by Jose Stevens, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Jose. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Anyway, the article was about a vegetalista um, who, I think in Peru, who worked only with ayahuasca and the other master plants. Not all of them are um, hallucinogenic. Um, but he didn't work with people, so wasn't really considered a shamanic healer in that sense. Nonetheless, this man was highly sought after by other shamans, curanderos, ayahuasqueros, by whatever way they identified. Um, they were all highly respected, and for miles and miles around, they would travel to work with this one man. And Jose asked why all of these renowned practitioners continued to journey a long way uh, to come to work with him again and again over the course of their lives, practicing the dieta with him and developing relationships with um, new master healing plants um, that you know, these people were all highly proficient themselves in their own work with ayahuasca. They were all quite capable of creating that themselves. So why did they travel to work with this guy? And the vegetalista answered very simply, because they are master shamans, or master healers, he said, actually. He said, they understand that their perception of both reality and non-ordinary reality can be distorted because they are master healers. And as they are learning to work with a new master plant, they want someone to let them know when they're lost in their own shadow or not discerning accurately for whatever reason. So this, this struck me. And I, I often, often reflect on this. You know, if master shamans know this about themselves, no matter what degree of development and mastery they are at, that they are always susceptible to distorting reality. If they, if they know that for the entire lifetime of their practice, why can't we get this? What is it about the contemporary Western psyche that can't grasp this? So my point simply is that reality isn't real. It is perceived. Ordinary reality is a perceived reality. If we change the vehicle through which reality is perceived, we get a different reality. And so how does this relate to today's topic? The topic being the highly skilled wounded child. So the presence of an inner wounded child completely shapes and colors our perception of reality. So when we heal, truly heal from a wound from the past, not the current time reaction, but the actual wound from the past, we then see and experience a different reality. So what felt dangerous is no longer a threat. What felt, um, what felt like love now feels like manipulation or some sort of cloying, controlling behavior. What we experienced previously as aggression is actually perhaps now felt as a desire to connect with deeper intensity or intimacy or precision. What we experienced prior with the wounded child active as emotionally unhealthy can actually be simply strong, intense, healthy adult responses to life. And the list goes on. So the highly skilled wounded child is something that I'm beginning to notice now over the last maybe 10 years And I feel it's a direction we're going in that we need to do an about face. Because this is the the person who who has a wounded child within them, which frankly, 
most contemporary Westerners do. Not a big deal that you got a wounded child. Pretty much everybody does. But the issue is, are you actually freeing that wounded child from the prison of that wounding and allowing it to heal? Because a wounded child is the shadow of the child archetype. And so as long as we have energy shoved in the wounded child, we have energy in shadow. And what we want is to follow the path of the healing needed by that wounded child so that child energy comes into the full child archetype. It remains that quality within us that allows us to face the great mystery with adventure and courage and to trust, to go forth, try new things, be hopeful, have new ideas, all those qualities. It's very important energy. So the highly skilled wounded child is the person who develops an ever-expanding skill set to get out of the upset the wounded child creates in the adult life without ever following the path necessary to get the wounded child out of the shadow and back into the full child archetype. It's as if people believe on one hand, what I've heard some people express is that a feeling they would lose their child altogether if they healed their wounded child. In other words, this idea that the only child possible is the wounded one. And that is obviously highly problematic, that our wounded child needs to be rescued. That is the compassionate act, is to draw our childhood out of the past where the wounds occurred and bring that energy out of that shadow and into the healthy, happy, well-supported, all-needs-are-met, child archetypal energy within ourselves which then balances our ever-growing wise person or sage the elder within us okay so that's what needs to happen but instead what's happening is people are cultivating all of these skills and sometimes using pharmaceuticals in a way that allows them to just keep releasing the upset the wounded child creates in contemporary adult life without actually actually rescuing the wounded child from the shadow. And this is what I mean by the highly skilled wounded child. So in my experience of my own healing, my clients, my students, this type of actual healing from past wounding and that change in perception that comes from that actual healing happens all the time. And I'm not saying I'm special. I'm saying if you're engaged in shamanic healing and shamanic transformation through ritual and ceremony. This kind of change is normal. So my point about the transformations necessary to get the wounded child in out of the shadow and into the healthy child archetype is that it's really easy access, easily accessible to us. And yet, culturally, we seem to be going in this other direction. And I find that deeply, deeply disturbing. Uh, But my point is, for those of us mucking around in the realm of shamanism, this kind of transformation is really pretty normal. And if you're listening to this show, you've at least got your toe in that water, if not swimming in the ocean. So, you know, it's normal in our world. So why are we not doing a fuller and better job modeling the the power and the the simplicity of this type of transformation um, as part of the great – sphere of offerings of what healing um of healing basically for us in the world okay so what i will say from my own healing is that every change from an actual emotional clearing required real and authentic feeling in other words there was no way to do the clearing of that issue from the past without actually feeling um and simultaneously showing up with that old feeling with the grown-up who's ready to engage in that old situation in a new way so that things can be transformed. In other words, no path through without feeling. Not re-traumatizing, but feeling. Okay. And then also, in my own experience, every true transformation, not just change, but true transformation that comes through a more extensive shamanic healing process like soul retrieval or some shadow transformation or something larger required feeling intensely not necessarily painfully, but really authentically and in the fullness of whatever the feeling is. Then humbly surrendering my current point of view, that current reality, and risking a new perspective. 
So in both cases of change or transformation, to not feel would be to lose the breadcrumbs on the path to your own authenticity and the, and the guidance from that authenticity towards your true destiny. So what I would say then is that it's very common if you are becoming a highly skilled wounded child to not have a strong sense of your deeper purpose and destiny. You've, you've got gifts, you're not afraid to use them, but that deep soul satisfying sense of manifesting your destiny, not so strong. There's still a feeling of lostness because the true self is um, obscured by the constant overwhelming perspective or um, overlaying perspective coming out of the uh, unconscious from the wounded child. Okay, so here's the other part of the deal though, that helping professions of many kinds have developed many very interesting and very effective modalities to get people out of pain immediately, if not sooner. They, they're, they're different modalities out there for getting people immediately out of emotional pain, um, out of psychological pain, out of psycho-spiritual pain, um, or desensitizing people to certain things. That There's lots out there, including pharmaceuticals, that give us a way to get out of the immediate real-time response to a pastime issue. Okay, so... What we need to be honest with ourselves about as practitioners is do these practices as effective as they are about moving someone out of their in-the-moment upset, do these practices circle back to find why the upset in the first place? Now, some of them do identify the original wounding. This was a past life. This was ancestral. This was whatever. Um, But they proceed as if the knowledge of that is enough. That, that knowing it was a past life issue is all that you need to know versus being a modality that allows you to know go to now go back into that past life and reconcile what is left unreconciled, thus causing that past life to kick up in this life. Okay. So the final thing is also that many of these very interesting and effective modalities may help us to desensitize to these triggers in the future But if that doesn't involve following the path of why we got triggered in the first place, then that original trauma will rise up in a new way. You know, you may desensitize to this particular manifestation of that pattern, but if the wounded child hasn't been recovered, you're going to go in another direction and that that unconscious energy is going to rise up. Or worse, and this is what I am starting to see, you'll lose the breadcrumbs to the wounded child in the first place. And then that requires an entirely different order of shamanic healing that the majority of practitioners aren't capable of doing because they're not being taught to do that. Shamanic healing is about tracking energy at its most basic. And that when you're tracking a lost soul part, you're, you're tracking the breadcrumbs. You, as the, your own humanity as a practitioner, is tracking the trace of the person's humanity, the particular part's humanity, and you're following breadcrumbs. But if those breadcrumbs have been swept away too many times, that path from here to there is missing. And the shamanic effort, one, to now find that lost, lost soul part absolutely must happen shamanically because now all the pathways, psychologically, emotionally, all the other humanity-based pathways are gone. They've been swept clear by, the, by these other modalities that get us out of the upset, out of the upset. Don't want to be upset. Don't want to be feeling anything. Got to get out of the upset immediately, right? Okay, fine. So now you're out of the upset, but you've not asked why. And so what happens is if that happens too much and the breadcrumbs are simply gone and that shadow self wounded child can't even rise up out of the shadow anymore, it takes a really high order of shamanic practitioner to be able to actually find the soul part because the trail to that part that the ordinary practitioner follows is gone. 
And so, for example, in my beginning years of practice, I would have assumed there was no part at all because I wouldn't have been able to track the trail because I didn't know yet that trails could be erased in this way because many of these modalities hadn't been invented yet. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. So my point is, as a beginning practitioner, I certainly was doing the best that I was could and I was practicing with my what level of integrity and impeccability I had at the time but I wouldn't have been able to do it back then to find those soul parts because the trail's missing and so I strongly encourage us to not only use pharmaceuticals judiciously but to use these modalities that clear away the contemporary upset very judiciously to use them wisely and to use them um, in the same way we shouldn't say that a pharmaceutical someone is taking for the depression is curing their depression. It's just allowing the person to be, sens- de- be desensitized to their depression. It's, cha- it's, it's changing them. But it's not changing why they're depressed. We need to be very careful about many of these other modalities because in a non-pharmaceutical way, they're doing the same thing. They're not necessarily answering they may be answering the why they may be diagnosing but they're not going after the why and resolving it so i feel that our culture is moving in a dangerous direction so with trigger warnings expected and concern over ever giving offense by simply having an opinion or causing anyone the distress of having an emotion or a challenge to what they believe to be true we're developing an attitude that protects the wound, the, I'm sorry, that protects the wounded from ever engaging on the journey of their own healing. So let me say this again, and I, I, I honestly believe this, and it is growing ever more present. That in our sincere efforts to help, we are protecting the wounded from engaging effectively on the journey necessary for their own deep healing. So trigger warnings, for example, began innocently enough as a concern for people who truly have PTSD. Um, And they have PTSD from the type of experience that often causes soul loss. So like combat, living with a combatant who has PTSD once they're home, refugee experiences, incest or other sexual violence, um, etc. All right. So when used appropriately, trigger warnings allow the reader or the person engaging to prepare themselves and to monitor their own reactions before they engage in the material or the discussion. And so in its original form, it, it was a compassionate act acknowledging that people are in a state of healing, right? So as um, Kate Mann says in her article about using trigger warnings in her own classroom, she teaches philosophy. She says that common sense should tell us that material that is merely offensive to certain people's political or religious sensibilities wouldn't merit a warning. True, political and religious um, politics and religion can make people irrationally angry, but unlike a state of panic, anger is a state we are able to rein in rationally, or at least we should be able to. And this, we should be able to, is precisely. The crux of the issue is are we as healing professionals and in particular people engaged in shamanic practice encouraging people to cultivate spiritual maturity and emotional maturity is that goes hand in hand with spiritual maturity. So are we encouraging people to be able to experience emotional and spiritual maturity or are we giving people a way to stay wounded? So here lies this issue of this highly skilled wounded child. Are we helping people to avoid strong emotions altogether? One, by things like trigger warnings and that expectation being used inappropriately. Or just by giving them the skills they need to clear immediately out of the upset. Or are we helping people to learn to be emotionally mature, healthy, and expressive, to clearly communicate without blame or judgment or projection? Right? Are we protecting people from their own woundedness and distracting them from the path necessary to bring true compassion and sensitivity 
to that wound in a way that allows that wound to transform. Okay, so what changes our perception of reality? Back to this whole, you know, the, the whole point of all of this, which is that our energies in shadow distort our perception of reality. They make monsters where there aren't monsters and, and often create blindness and deafness to monsters that actually exist. And that's the problem with energies in the shadow, particularly the wounded child energies. Okay, so what changes our perception of reality? So our beliefs, whatever our beliefs might be, change our emotional response to life. And the awareness of something doesn't necessarily change the belief. So if you have um, childhood beliefs about what love is and you grow up later to gain an awareness that what you thought was love in your family was actually fairly abusive um, on one hand and controlling on another, perhaps, just hypothetically speaking. You came to see that as an adult. Knowing that as an adult does not necessarily change those beliefs forged in your childhood. Knowing is not enough. Insight is not enough that what we need to engage in is a process that actually finds the part of ourself that is holding the original belief and we need to convince her one way or another to transform that belief. That's the process that's needed. So beliefs change our emotions, our emotional response. So if we change our beliefs, we can change our experience of life. But similarly, our emotions can change our beliefs. So if we have a profound healing, profound emotional transformation, that can, that can ultimately take us to that place where we can change the belief. So emotions and beliefs are not fixed. They are actually both mutable and changeable. And they both mutate and change how we experience reality. They affect what we project onto reality. They, they change what we experience in reality. They change what we deny in reality. And so having no skills to work with your emotions or your beliefs is a problem because it allows those energies simply to drive you out of your unconscious and out of the shadow. And in particular, in this case today, the shadow of the wounded, the, the wounded child shadow. So our energy body profoundly changes our experience. And I know from the emails that come in, I know there's gobs of listeners out there that know this to be true because they took a challenge. One of the challenges around grounding or boundaries or one of the many um, basics of living well, you know, try this with your energy body for 30 days challenges. Life completely changes. Everything around you changes. Your perception of what is going on around you changes by changing the quality of your energy body. So then the next step from cultivating the components of your energy body is then asking, what energy body do I need? You know, what quality of energy body do I need to live my soul's purpose? So then that creates a standard for the sort of quality and capacity of your energy body that allows you to do what you came here to do. It's like, kind of like the next step kind of a big step but anyway it's the next step so but my point is I worked with this client and and she even I knew this but she really opened my eyes to this because I'm I totally get people in food sensitivities I mean with what's happened to the food supply I get it I don't I'm not dismissive of that at all but she was at a place with her food sensitivities I mean and the desperate reason that she came to me was that she was at a place where if she she was down to like eating eight things safely and if she got any amount of anything off that very limiting list by accident in any of her food she would go immediately sort of bonkers and she she came to me because she was afraid she would get hauled off and institutionalized because she started acting it, from her own perspective, so crazy when she ate these foods she was sensitive to, which was at this point almost all food. So the likelihood of eating something accidentally and losing it was high and she was terrified. 
And that's why she came to get shamanic healing. And my experience largely working with her and the guidance by spirit was just to trash her entire energy body. It was a disaster and it was a mess and just start over again new and to give her practices to cultivate that new pattern of energy body. By the time I saw her again, which was only a handful of months later, um, she had diligently done this practice, even though in the beginning she felt it wasn't working. But she had diligently, diligently done this practice that had allowed her to integrate the soul part that came back, you know, whatever it was. She followed through on the healing. I don't remember all the details of it. But the point is when she came back, she had no food allergies. I mean, she stayed away from the heavy hitters like probably most people should these days. But but going from a list of eight things she could safely eat to now I can safely eat everything, just about. I mean, it was a huge change and it had nothing to do with her physical chemistry. It had everything to do with her energy body. So in other words, peop- and so she's experiencing this high level of sensitivity. And I use this story because it was physical sensitivity, not just energetic sensitivity, which is very subjective right but physical sensitivity and it was completely changed by simply changing the quality of her energy body completely changed and so imagine how your energetic sensitivity could be changed by changing the quality of your energy body And two of the things that profoundly affect your capacity to maintain a healthy energy body are soul loss and shadow issues. Soul loss because it creates a fairly permanent hole in your energy body, which you constantly have to cover and compensate for. So it's an an energy drain. I mean, there's many shows about this, but the point is it's a big energy drain on one hand from the energy body perspective. But the other thing about shadow stuff is what what shadow what what having shadow energies in the unconscious does is you're consciously maintaining this great energy body and you're unconsciously dismantling it through many of the unconscious choices that you're making uh, through the aspects of yourself that are shoved into the shadow in in particular the wounded child because the wounded child the childhood, because childhood is the time when our energy body is supposed to be coming online naturally in a healthy way. And in many cultures, indigenous cultures, they do things at different stages in a child's growth to provoke certain parts of the energy body to really snap into place in a, in a, in a very big way. So the point is your energy body is cultivated in childhood. It's either cultivated consciously or unconsciously. For most kids in the Western world, pretty unconsciously. Right, and that's part of the problem. But my point is, whatever energy body you're living in is influencing your perspective of life around you, whether you're safe or not, whether people are a threat or not, whether people's energy is too intense or not, whether you are a true empath or a true sensitive has everything to do with the health of your energy body. When your energy body is at the quality that will allow you to live your soul's purpose, then you can check in to find out if you are truly sensitive or empathic at a level that makes you special with that. Because human beings are sensitive. Human beings are do experience empathy, at least healthy ones, mentally healthy ones do, right? Okay, so back to this list of what changes our percep- perception of reality. Now, of course, everything does, but that's not a helpful answer. So these are the aspects of where we can engage in who we are and change who we are in a way that affects our perception of reality. Okay, so emotional clearing. Now, there's a lot of shows about emotional clearing. I'm not going to go too deeply into it right now. It is the class that I teach at least twice a year. And so it's coming up again in September here in Portland. Um, I think next year it may not be in Portland. It might be in a couple different locations because people are asking me to come and teach it. But the point is it's the same class again and again and again because it's the most important thing I ever learned because it is the thing that has most empowered me as a regular human, not a special human, a regular human to engage my humanity to heal the wounded child, to draw the aspects of myself that are trapped in what is unresolved from my childhood into my conscious awareness and into present time by being willing to track the energy into the past in an effective way 
to help to transform that past dynamic in a way that the energy, my energy, is freed up and brought forward into present time. This is the value of what I consider true emotional clearing. That's the clearing. Now, it may be that you need to practice one of these other modalities to get out of the the in-the-moment upset to be able to engage in the clearing practice because to do the clearing practice, you need to not be upset. To journey, you need to not be upset. I mean, to use a lot of skills, we need to not be upset. So the value of many of these clearing the upset in the moment practices is it gets us out of being upset, and that's good. The problem is when we perceive of it as the cure instead of recognizing the inner journey that's required to actually transform the root of the problem. And so that's what I mean by um, emotional clearing. And in a true emotional clearing, you know the energy has been cleared because your perception of reality is shifted by that clearing. So now some of, now we move into kind of the bigger ticket items that I've already mentioned, which is shadow selves. There are many shows about shadow selves, but shadow selves require a particular path of transformation. That is, that is the nature of shadow energy. It is a very different path of the next big hitter in our wounded child parade here, which is soul loss. Because much, you know, any soul loss that happened to you in childhood, which for most contemporary people is the majority of your soul loss, unless you've been in some sort of violent situation as an adult. So the soul loss that happens um, in our childhood is largely what generates the oomph of our wounded child, that power of our wounded child to keep driving us in the un- driving the unconscious into our conscious life is largely coming out of the soul parts that contribute to that woundedness and a lot of these childhood soul parts. So, you know, what are you waiting for? Get your soul parts back. Um, so the important thing about shadow selves, though, is so for me, for example, the first true shadow work that I did resolved my lifetime of depression. And, and that sounds way simpler than it was. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I'm just saying that I was able to identify that the root cause of the depression was shadow and to actually surrender to true shadow work to bring the aspects of myself that were in shadow out into my conscious life to recognize their enemy status, transform them into allies, and then integrate the allies and use the ally energy. And in the process of doing that, totally disrupting and changing my depressive patterns. So in doing that, there is um, – it's a very different experience than, for example, going to some festival or Burning Man and acting out your shadow behaviors fully and freely and without any limitation, but then just coming back home and shoving them back in the shadow and going back to work. I mean to act out shadow energies is not transformation. To give yourself the freedom to act out of your unconscious is actually masturbation basically it's not even spiritual bypass it's worse because it's like you're running that wounded child around parading it around under the promise that it's going to be set free and then yanking it back into prison it's it's actually damaging behavior and yet it's becoming more and more popular and this is part of my, my point here today is about recognizing that the different original wounding that cumulatively creates our wounded child, the different woundings each require their own path of healing, meaning the different types. I don't, I mean, every single thing needs its own uniqueness, but soul loss requires soul retrieval. Shadow cells require rescue and transformation. Emotional clearing requires, yes, emotions. <laughs> that you're willing to feel. And so my point is we need to understand what is at the root and then follow that path if we want to deal with the why we are having the upset in present time. And one of the things that is very challenging about soul loss that has created a PTSD level of response in life from childhood is that 
bringing those soul parts back and having them settle into the body that has been carrying the shadow version of those patterns is initially rarely pleasant. And it takes a great deal of courage to be willing to bring the soul part back in to advocate for the soul part and let the pain that's being carried in the body go. And I've worked with a lot of people who are able and willing to do that. Um, but it, it is challenging and you need to want to clear the, the effect of the unconscious wounded child in your life to be willing to do it. Um, and, and with that said, it's not true for everyone. For some people that have a big PTSD level of soul loss from childhood violence or sexual abuse or incest, for, for them, it does, they don't experience it that way. But the point is they do get their soul parts retrieved and they do integrate them. So sometimes for some people it's very challenging to do. For others it isn't. But the point is it's being willing to rescue that child from its lostness. Okay, so let me talk just a minute here about PTSD because this show really isn't about PTSD. It's really about wounded child issues and not all wounded child issues are PTSD. And this is part of this highly skilled wounded child thing that I'm seeing is people are starting to refer to any trigger as PTSD. And it's not. (laughs) Let me just talk about that. Try to do it systematically here. Okay, so PTSD involves soul loss. All PTSD involves soul loss. That's what makes, creates the conditions in which the person loses their connection to present time and flips into the other time. It's the other time the part of themselves is in. And that um, losing the the grounding in the space-time reality of the current self that is um, kind of the hallmark of PTSD. Okay, there is non-PTSD inducing soul loss. There's lots of soul loss that people experience that does not create that this kind of response. It, it might cause people to trigger to project their past onto reality. Um, to operate out of the unconscious to do many of those things but they do so with the sense that their version of reality is correct they're grounded in this present time they haven't lost the flow of current space and time they're just projecting their story onto it this space and time when someone is having a PTSD experience partly because of the panic and everything else about it they're really not here anymore that, there, that there's a break. They may be conscious that there's a break with reality, but there is a break with this reality, and that is partly what makes it so terrifying and damaging. And so I really encourage those of you that are starting to use PTSD in the place of being triggered to knock it off. It is deeply disrespectful to those people that are truly suffering from PTSD. Okay, so... These are some of the patterns of the highly, highly skilled wounded child that I observe around me. I see it often in the, in the helping professional, often a psychological professional therapist or counselor or psychiatrist or whatever, who can't or won't fully transform their own shadow selves and thus refer to the emotional intensity of a healthy community or a healthy relationship of grown-ups as causing PTSD for them. Like their, their perspective around emotional intensity um, is that it's triggering them into their PTSD. Um, another example is shamanic healers. A lot of highly sensitive people come into shamanic healing, which is not necessarily a good thing. There's a lot of shamanic healing that is not um, for the sensitive person, like soul loss, uh, soul retrieval for people that have PTSD for more time. <laughs> but anyway, nonetheless, shamanic healers who are very sensitive and interpret all the energies around them based on themselves – And they interpret those energies as good or bad relative to how it makes them feel. And thus, they often pathologize completely healthy energies in the environment 
or they project their unhealthy energies onto the environment and then blame the environment, uh, things or people uh, for their for the energy they actually brought into the situation. Um, the other thing is, is they they are because they're highly skilled and because they are practitioners. People tend to believe them, and they use that authority to kind of swirl people into the vortex of their own unconscious shadow behavior. That's something I see often. Another is a client who's seeking shamanic healing and then won't integrate her soul parts because her soul parts are triggering her. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, it's going on and, and it's, what I see is this um, desire to control the world around me versus a deep desire to master myself. The desire to control the world around me so that it doesn't trigger me uh, versus seeing that reaction to the world as my own responsibility. And not only my own responsibility, but the breadcrumbs. The breadcrumbs that would lead me on the path to healing my woundedness so that I can stop reacting and start responding to life. Okay, so what I see from all of this is that we have to surrender to the path defined by the nature of the original trauma that created the wounded child energy in the first place. So each of the experiences that create what we generically call wounded child energy um, shapes how we perceive reality, but it also defines its own path of healing. And that path must be walked. It can't be circumvented. And this is the problem that I see how many of these modalities that get us out of the or the upset in the moment are being presented to people they're being presented as a cure and it's not a cure unless we actually walk the path back to the origin and give the woundedness what it needs based on what kind of woundedness it is it can't be circumvented and this 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 notion that it can is so seductive and as practitioners, I encourage us to really look at the degree to which we are offering that kind of panacea to our clients in an alternative, natural way. You know, a, a way to avoid the deep work via these modalities instead of pharmaceuticals, as if avoiding the deep work is any healthier, depending on what way you're avoiding it. Um, so... So some people really would question now, so what is really the difference then? Um, if, I'm, if I'm finding myself triggered, how is that um, not PTSD? And I agree that, that the difference is technical. It's an issue of degrees. But it's an issue, for example, of the difference between shadow energies and soul loss. So if I shove an aspect of myself in the shadow, it's technically still with me. If I shove an, an aspect of myself into soul loss, it's gone effectively. It is outside of this space and time. My shadow selves are with me all the time in space and time, as are yours. So that's the thing with PTSD. When we're being triggered and we're just projecting our, our version of reality onto the real reality, that we're still here in this space and time. But when we truly have PTSD, we're lost relative to this space and time. So it's like the distinction between a shadow self and a soul part. So it, it, it is an issue of degree. And the important thing about understanding that is that um, it allows us to bring to bear the appropriate path of healing. Okay. So... Setting aside the events that cause PTSD, um, since that really wasn't what I wanted to address today, I want to address this wounded child issue. Okay, so they come primarily from childhood, thus the wounded child part, and as long as they are unresolved, they move through our unconscious out into our world, as all shadow patterns do. So if we go to Alice Miller's The Drama of the Gifted Child, which was a big deal, and for those of you that have never looked at it, look at it. Um, and in this book, she championed the rev which at the time was a revolutionary idea that children deserved empathy and nonviolent education. 
And the reason that, that this is important is because what she described children needing from their parents is what you as a current time person need to bring to your wounded child, regardless of what has put it in the category of wounded child, you need to be able to bring this kind of adult to that wounded child. So in Alice Miller's work, she professed that parents, teachers, and therapists should learn to see and feel from the perspective of the child. Particularly in her first three books, she showed how children should not be expected to deal with the emotional damage and immaturity of adults in their lives. Miller said that the gifted child, a child who is more intelligent, more sensitive, and more emotionally aware than other children, will attune to their parents' needs and expectations, and that that child will do whatever it takes to meet the parents' needs and expectations at the expense of sensing their own needs and learning to feel their own feelings. Now, my perspective from decades of soul retrieval work is that all children do this, not just gifted children, not just highly sensitive people, that children do this with their parents to survive. And it changes, the degree to which they do it changes relative to their soul's purpose and the immaturity or mental health status of their parents. It's not really so much about whether the child is gifted or not. But the point in Alice Miller's work is what she was asking for from the adults in the life of the children, that piece is completely appropriate. Okay. So in becoming um, what the parents want or need, the child loses the path of development of his or her own true self. Becoming the parent's ideal child results in an adult who often feels lost, empty, emotionally isolated, or excessive or denied emotionally and is constantly repeating the same unhealthy patterns in relationship. In short, an adult filled with wounded child energy coming out through the shadow. So the irony here though is that Alice Miller wasn't a great parent. She understood and even inspired greater parenting. But as a wounded child herself, an unhealed wounded child from war, in Europe, she was unable to manifest what she believed deeply and dearly in. This is, she to me is the case in point for why we must do the deep work. At 63, her son Martin Miller wrote the true drama of the gifted child with the subtitle, The Tragedy of Alice Miller, How Repressed War Trauma Impacts Families. So the ability to sense and understand which Alice certainly had, is different from the ability to behave differently. So what matters in life is what we manifest, what our actions create. And like Alice Miller, wounded children wound. They wound the people around them. They wound the next generation. They hurt others. And the more we give people the skills to live in their wounding, the worse we make it for the next generation. Especially with shamanic skills that allow us to use altered states to get at painful energies in a non-psychological way, there is no reason to simply treat the symptoms. There is no reason to encourage superficial remedies when healing is relatively easily at hand for the wounded child. My point is that by maintaining the highly skilled wounded child, you actually continue to wound yourself. You are now the adult, forcing your already wounded child to stay in the wounding. There is no compassion in refusing to bring your childhood out of the pain and distortion of the past. Clearing the upset again and again without asking why you are upset and then following that path all the way to its logical logical conclusion, no matter what it takes, is to continue your own self-abuse. And just like the parent that sucked the child into their dysfunction, you continue to suck your wounded child into yours. So what I ask us all to do as practitioners is to look at our own courage to take people into the deep work. And what I ask each of you is instead of trying to cultivate a kind of emotional goodness all the time, consider cultivating the resiliency to bring your humanity full force with a courageous heart into the world. I'd like to thank the helping spirits, the ancestors around us all, the earth above, the sky below, and the heart that unites us all. 
for those of you that want to learn this kind of actual emotional energy clearing that I'm talking about, the next class is here in Portland, September 23 through 25. You can register through the website. Um, and then there are also other classes in October and we're, we're already beginning registration for Massive Illusion for 2017. So that's all um, on the website. So thank you all for listening and I encourage you to consider what will it take to have a happy and healthy inner child.